Good morning, happy Wednesday, happy whatever day you're listening. Welcome to Girls Camp. I'm your host, Haley Rawl, and today's episode healed me in ways I did not even realize I needed to be healed. And that, I think, is the mark of a wonderful therapist, which today's guest, Danielle Calder, is. She is a therapist, so she's able to speak from her professional experience. She specializes in faith transitions and religious trauma, but she's also a post-Mormon herself, and she's in a mixed-faith marriage, and she's able to speak both personally and professionally, which I really, really appreciate and I think was super valuable. I did my best not to turn it into a therapy session for myself, which I kind of did, sorry, but we also talked through a lot of the questions that came in and covered a whole range of topics. Before I let you listen to that, I just wanted to make a quick fun announcement I teased this a little bit on Instagram and then kind of dropped the ball about building anticipation, but Girls Camp is going to LA. Bentley and I are going on a little vacation and doing a couple LA interviews, which I'm so, so excited about. You all are going to freak when you find out who's coming on the podcast. I'm not going to tell you yet, but I'll probably announce it on Friday or something got to keep you on your toes somehow. So stay tuned for the announcement of who will be on the podcast and that will be the next couple weeks. It's going to be a lot of fun. I'm seriously excited and mostly just really excited to go to California. We're going to get a little beach time. We're leaving the babies with family and I'm just excited about that. So Fun things on the horizon and a great episode today, which I will let you listen to now. All right. Welcome, Danielle. Hi. Hi. I'm so glad to be here. I'm so happy you're here. Thanks for coming on. It is about time I have a real certified therapist on the podcast. I always say, I'm like, you know what? We all could use a little more therapy. So I'm super excited to have you on to speak to, I'm sure, what will be a whole range of topics. I'm excited. It's always fun to talk about all this stuff. So before we get into, we have a lot of questions that people have written in that we'll go through together. But before we get into that, I would love to hear a little bit more about your context, where you grew up, what your relationship with Mormonism is, and kind of how you found yourself to where you're at now. Yeah, absolutely. I can totally share that. I think before we get started, I just want to say that Any therapist knows what this is like, where you want to toe this fine line of speaking for your experience, being authentic, not projecting, but not disclosing so much that you're going to regret it. And so if any of my patients are listening, hey, um, (laughs) if anything I say bugs you, just let me know and we can talk about it. But I will be speaking more candidly than I probably normally do, just because that's the nature of what we're getting into. Totally. Great little disclaimer. So I grew up LDS, loved the church, grew up in Orange County in San Diego, really, really believed, was very into the scriptures, bearing my testimony, being a member missionary. It was very important to me. Mm. I served a mission. I went to BYU. I loved my mission. I still look back fondly over 99% of it. I went to Boston, Massachusetts, and I just had a really great time. So then I returned to BYU and took a class about women's studies, which was really fun, and became more of a feminist, but I was still very in the church. I think there's an interesting combination of Mormonism where people are highly obedient and highly adherent to the religion, but they're also progressive in their beliefs. So I wasn't the type of person that was not wearing my garments and drinking coffee, but I was definitely like very obedient but very much disagreed with a lot of it, if that makes sense. And I feel like yeah. that's different than yeah. being sort of casual. That's like, a really for- good distinction. I've never thought about it that way before, but I think I can totally relate. Yeah. So that was me for a really long time. I went to BYU also for my master's. I did a master's in social work 
and I remember graduating and realizing that I didn't need to get an ecclesiastic endorsement and I felt so much relief. I didn't even know that that was a concern that I had until I was like, oh my gosh, I never have to do that again because for the last seven years I had to prove to a bishop that I deserve to be at BYU. You have to be active in the church if you are a member in order to not get expelled. And I just didn't realize how much of a hold that had on me until after I was done with that. So I graduated 2019. My friend, she was like, Danielle, do you even know about the temple? And I was like, what? And she sent me the CES letter. And I read bits and pieces about the blood oath. I get, what do we call it? The penalty. Do you know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, this is new. Like, what do you, what? So it was just, I was kind of like, oh, I don't know how I feel about this. Like, I want people to have a good experience in the temple. I've always loved the temple. I was a temple worker before and after my mission. I want to clarify really quick the blood oath thing. Yeah, I think it was that they wouldn't reveal the signs and tokens of the temple lest they slit their throat and slit their guts and gesture to pull out their guts. Yes. And I just didn't know that. So you were saying when you read the CES letter, you realized that that had happened in the temple historically, and that was really surprising, upsetting to you. Yeah, it was. And I, at the time when I read it, I was kind of like, okay, so Joseph Smith was inspired by Freemasonry. Like, okay, that's fine. This is from God. God inspired him. He used what he knew. Didn't really have a problem with it, but I was definitely kind of like, ooh, the temple's not going to quite be the same. Don't really know what to do with that. And that was right before the pandemic started. Mm. And I went to the temple with my husband and did ceilings in San Diego in March. And it was like the last time either one of us went together, which is kind of sad, but it was kind of sweet too, because it was the last ordinance done in that temple before the pandemic, before it shut down. But even during the pandemic, I was still, you know, super active and all that. But it wasn't until 2021 when the church decided to excommunicate two therapists, Natasha Heffler, Helfer. I always say her name wrong for last name. I think it's Helfer. Helfer. Yeah, Natasha Helfer. (laughs) They excommunicated her and Mark Osland. And with Natasha, she was just doing her job as a therapist, advocating, speaking out, using science in her practice. And the church was very mad at her. They had tracked her on social media, what she said. They documented it. And all of us therapists got together signed letters, petitions. A lot of therapists wrote this massive document saying how she was doing her job and she should not be excommunicated. And they did that anyways. And that was extremely wounding. And then when they excommunicated Mark, this was right after Elder Holland did his talk at BYU in the fall, calling out Matt Easton. I was with Matt in that graduation ceremony when he gave his coming out talk. It was so beautiful. We were just cheering my cohort of MSW students. They were so proud of Matt. And then to hear Elder Holland say what he said about Matt was just so upsetting. And I also knew from talking to Matt that he had been given permission to come out. And then for Elder Holland to say that was really upsetting. So they excommunicate Mark. They have the audacity to do that when they have so many other really serious issues. So it destroyed me. It was 9 p.m., And I remember reading his Instagram post and just being like, that's it. Like when he announced that they had, that they were calling him in for an excommunication. And so the rest is history. Wow. That's really intense. You were so close to that community in so many ways. And yeah, that was something I definitely heard about and was following along with, but being that closely connected to it, I can imagine is really devastating to watch that unfold. It just felt like it was a matter of time because I'm mouthy. You know, I'm careful what I put on Instagram and TikTok and I try to be professional, but when the doors are closed, I can be very blunt and not, you know, conceal much. And so I'm like, well, if they're tracking people on social media, like there's a good chance that'll become me one day. Mm -hmm. And I just always thought that if someone wanted to stay a member and they weren't like murdering children, that Mm -hmm. they would able to be in the church and to find out that no, even if you want to like still be sealed to your family and your spouse believes in temple covenants, like they will spiritually assassinate you if you are following ethics. Yeah. I was like, whoa. Yeah. So I mean it was very dramatic for me, very all at once. 
but in many ways I'm very grateful for it because my life would look very different if it wasn't so severe and so bad. Mm. And that's kind of what I needed to wake up. And it really was an awakening like I'd never experienced. I didn't know that so many things in my life were making me sick because of church or in relation to doctrine. Mm-hmm. And it really woke me the heck up in a way that I I didn't even know that I wasn't fully on board mentally until I was like, oh my gosh, like what? Yeah. And it just, it all kind of came crumbling down after that. Wow. Wow. Yeah, that is really difficult. I would be curious to hear how that journey, that faith journey coincided with your professional journey, because now you are a practicing therapist and you specialize in religious trauma and faith transition. So it sounds like your faith journey was really connected to that community of therapists as well. How did you find yourself specializing in that? And kind of where did those two things, you know, coincide? Yes. So the night that Natasha was excommunicated, I was in my ward doing a fireside with the youth. She was getting in trouble for basically doing what I was doing right then and there, but taking a step further and like coloring outside the lines. And so I always thought that I would be a progressive Mormon who stayed in, made it better, advocated, you know, for my testimony in June about my love of the pride community for pride month, wore pants, whatever. So, so that's always what I thought my life was going to look like. And when I realized that I could not ethically remain in this institution and just follow my ethics and my heart, I knew that my relationship with the church would change and therefore my therapeutic relationship with the church would change because I always figured that I would work with bishops and stake presidents. It's a very obvious career tract. If you live outside of Utah, you're going to network, you're going to help with firesides, you're going to do mutual and youth, you know, conference talks, and that's just going to be your thing. And I never wanted to specialize in Mormonism in my practice, but it's just by default. Like, that's just going to happen. You're going to get referrals. Then when I left, (laughs) I'll never forget this. I was just so caught off guard by how traumatic my shelf break is, you know, and many people describe a shelf break as the last straw of religion. That's exactly how it was for me. I don't think everyone experiences something really specific and dramatic, but it was for me. So I was in the upside down, as I call it, like Stranger Things. <laughs> I was in the upside down, like, what does this mean? Mm-hmm. And I watched a YouTube video by Katie Morton, and it was about religious traumatic syndrome. And it was so funny because it had 10 criteria. She would describe each one. And I was like, oh, no, I didn't experience that. And then she would give an example. And I was like, oh, that's literally what happened, like, last week. Like You're like, oh, wait. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So she's like, um, you know, religion's like spiritual abuse. And I'm like, no. And she was like, for example, telling people that if they don't follow your church, that they will go to hell. And I was like, oh. Um, So once we got through the whole video, I was like, this is exactly what I have. Where are the therapists specializing in this? Where are the workbooks? Where is the education? And for me, I was not finding that. I was not seeing almost any LDS person, therapist online posting about religious trauma besides Tiffany Rowe. Mm -hmm. And she is incredible. And she posts about a variety of topics, but she was really the only one that I saw making content, professional content about this. So it became my, in my own, it was a part of my own healing journey. I was very curious about the topic and then just decided like, this is it for me. So yeah, the rest is history with that one as well. It's so needed. I mean, I'm sure you know better than anyone how absolutely necessary that specialization is. I follow Tiffany Rowe as well. And I'm thinking about when I see your content and just how much it surprises me when I see you posted a reel, I think it was literally yesterday about how it's valid to speak about your religious trauma. And it was wild for me to watch that and realize, oh, there's still a part of me that doesn't actually believe that. Because rationally, I think that I do, right? But to see it written out by someone who's a professional therapist was so validating and healing for me in a way that I didn't even realize that I needed. I just know that the work that you're doing and putting it in a place like Instagram or on TikTok where it's more easily accessible for people is 
of such a huge, huge value. And I so appreciate it. And I know so many other people do. So thank you for doing that work. First of all, I think that's incredible. And again, I think making it accessible in that way is, is really huge for the community in general. Yeah. I really appreciate that. I'm so glad that it's helpful. You know, it's, it's the sort of thing where I often say what I needed to hear a few years ago and I just sort of put it in a post and it's amazing how specific I can be in a professional way and then I get a tremendous response and I'm like, oh, okay, so that wasn't just me that felt yep. that way. Yeah. So it's helpful to see people resonate with it because I'm like, okay, we're really on to something. Like we really are tapping into a huge need. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think there's this thing we do, especially as post-Mormons, maybe particularly as post-Mormon women, I'm not sure, but it's so easy to invalidate yourself and to try and sugarcoat your feelings or, I don't know, tone police yourself. I'm using these terms pretty lightly here, but I guess I'm just trying to touch on how validating it is to have someone who has professional experience, who has studied these things to validate the religious trauma and the difficulty of faith transitions and faith crises. And a lot of people maybe don't have the time or resources to access that in the traditional way. So to be able to be putting out that content in a way that's more accessible is again, just really huge. Yeah. I'm so glad. I'm so glad that it can help and that it, it reaches people. And I totally get what you're saying too, where it's like, am I exaggerating? Am I just angry right now? Am I making this up? Do I need to get over my my sour attitude, but clinically speaking, there are significant psychiatric symptoms and conditions that stem from religion and cults. And I believe that it's very under-researched. And it's one of those areas where you want to be respectful of what people believe, right? We never want to tell people your religion is bad. Your religion is untrue. You need to leave. That's not nice. That's not professional. I would never say that to somebody and we need to find a way to call it out and speak on that pain and advocate that it stops immediately because it's not acceptable. Yeah. And it doesn't matter that it's religious, right? You don't get to discriminate against people and cause spiritual abuse and pain in the name of religion. And that's yeah. what society has done for centuries is... Yep. <laughs> justify yep. horrible genocide due to religion and it's got to stop the respect thing I have thought so much about the word respect I've actually had a number of active Mormons reach out to me and say hey I've listened to your podcast I really appreciate how respectful you are toward Mormonism still which is interesting for a whole host of reasons because I don't feel like I'm necessarily trying to like that's not my number one goal necessarily and I'm not upset that it's coming off that way I'm really not I think there's a lot of value in speaking to the nuance and the complexity of these things however it is interesting that just because we're talking about religion there's this assumption that respect is earned just by the basis of it being a religion right and that's something that I've had to wrestle with a lot as I speak publicly about Mormonism is there's really huge areas of Mormonism that I don't think deserve any respect because they are causing this harm that you're speaking to. And there are religious leaders who have said really harmful, hurtful things. Why did they deserve our, quote, respect just because they're a religious leader, you know? And that's something that I've still, I think about and I'm trying to parse out myself is Yes, I don't want to be, I don't find any value personally in being, quote, disrespectful just to be disrespectful. However, I also don't think that respect is just conditional on something calling itself a religion. Absolutely. And I think the temple is an interesting example. You know, we talked about that at the beginning and it can be hard to hear those things like what happened in the temple in the past. But what's not fair, for example, is for someone to go into the temple having almost no context, be required to covenant certain things, and then say, you can't talk about it because you promise not to. We don't get to hurt people and tell people who have trauma 
that they can't talk about it. It's not fair. And that's what abusers do. Mm -hmm. They silence their victims and push them out. And I'm not saying that the temple is abusive, but that whole idea that I'm going to hurt you and you can't say anything about it, that is classic abuse. That's Mm -hmm. what abusers do. And so that might not sound the nicest (laughs) to describe that in terms of the temple, but there are lots of people who have really significant trauma with their missions, with the temple, with wearing garments, with whatever it is. And we need to feel comfortable talking about that in spaces that we trust to get support. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I want to jump into the questions. So much good stuff already. There's a lot of good questions that will kind of keep parsing a lot of this out. Let's see where we want to start. Do, do, do. Okay, I feel like this is kind of along the lines of what we were talking about. Someone asked, is it, quote, bad to see family slash loved ones still in the church as brainwashed? That question definitely got me. So there's Danielle LCSW's answer, and Mm -hmm. then there's Jen in real life. Like, two different responses. This is what I will say, is that the wound of being in a high-demand religion or a, you know, religious cult or non-religious cult is that your brain and your emotions have been heavily impacted by the religion, where some people do not feel like they really have a say in what they think their natural reactions or even access to their body um, in terms of like their sexuality or their hunger cues or who knows even what because of religion. And so when we're recovering from religion, when we are reclaiming our authority, it really begins with self-trust. So if you feel like you were brainwashed, feel like you were brainwashed. If you feel like your family members do not have access to critical thinking, that they are numb to really horrific things, you're allowed to think that. And I don't find any value in trying to change people's mindsets. That's what religion does. They try and that's the process of indoctrination is this is right. You're wrong. You have to do this because this is capital truth. And so I don't think that at all, it's an exaggeration or inflammatory to believe that you were brainwashed or indoctrinated or that other people cannot think logically. And I'll give an example um, from church history with Joseph Smith, where I was talking to somebody that I love very much about Joseph Smith and polygamy and how Joseph had multiple affairs with women that Emma did not know about. He was actively engaged in multiple extramarital engagements. And I was talking to this person and I was like, well, you see that he was having an act, like a series of affairs. And this person was like, okay, yes, I see that. I talked to this person a few months later and I brought that up like, hey, it really meant a lot to me when you were able to really think critically about the restoration and recognize that what Joseph Smith was arguably, ethically immoral. And this person was like, I never said that. Joseph Smith did not cheat on Emma. What are you talking about? And it totally backtracked. Mm. And so this is something that I noticed with someone that's in the mindset is that every once in a while, you will access them. You'll access their heart, their true feelings, their intuition, their inner highest self. But that can also be masked due to loyalty, due to right arming to the square, bow your head and say yes. Hmm. Well, yeah, that actually surprisingly is making me really emotional because it's, I'm trying to think like what that's getting at for me, but I think part of what that's getting at is again, this duality in having so many people around you that you love who are supporting something that you find wrong, harmful, hurtful, problematic, but also loving that person and respecting and admiring that person. And it's so difficult because there's the religion, there's Mormonism, there's the person. Those are two separate things, but they're also so deeply intertwined, especially because of how Mormonism operates. (laughs) And so it's making me emotional because I feel like that's such a difficult thing to do. And it's hard because you want to continue to love and support the people that you love and support, but how do you separate that from something that they love and support that's harmful, right? There's kind of this like train or like domino effect maybe. That's, it's just really difficult. And I think 
you spoke to it in a really eloquent way. And I think so many people, I mean, any post-Mormon is still interacting in some capacity with people who are part of the faith. And that's just an incredibly difficult thing to do. I have a follow-up question. I'm curious your thoughts on interacting with people. So this person says, is it bad to believe that people are still brainwashed? You're saying, you know, think what you think, feel what you feel. And I love that. What about when it comes to interacting with those people in our lives? You know, for example, if you have parents who are still Mormons and something comes up at Sunday dinner, you know, I loved such and such general conference talk. It was so beautiful. At what level, and I, I know a lot of this is case by case and it depends on the person, but I'm just curious your thoughts, how productive it is to engage and if there's any ways to engage more productively than others. Yeah, I, I think that's a great question. Like a very practical example, you're at dinner, someone's talking about conference, maybe you mentioned something that was problematic, and they are defending it. And you're like, Oh, my gosh, they're totally indoctrinated brainwashed can't think critically. Do I say something? Do I not do I push them? It's it's complicated. I think that in order to learn, we need to not be on the defense. The way that you get people to change is by loving them and by seeing the good in them. People can change because of shame. I don't think shame is always bad. We feel shame because we're not antisocial. We are not psychopaths and sociopaths. So shame, it means that we love people and ourselves. Like we can feel, which is a huge part of being a human. Mm. Um, But when we name call and tell people that they're being dumb, it doesn't work and it actually backfires. And then people can do superficial performative change to avoid shame when they haven't really learned. And so if someone is deeply sexist, I want them to talk about why, why do you hate women? Like, let's talk about this. And then once there's that understanding and they get that out, then we can shift it. But Mm -hmm. being like, you need to be pro women. Don't say that. Like it's a very external shift that's not actually any sort of internal working change. And so I think it's the same with religion, where I will speak from my experience and I will say things like, for me, until it was on the table for me to leave religion, never go back to the temple, say goodbye to my covenants, say goodbye to all of it. I was not able to think critically until I was emotionally and mentally able to say, if I never come back, I'll be okay. And it wasn't until all of our siblings on me and my husband's in our families were sealed. It wasn't until I was off my parents' phone plan. It wasn't until we were fully financially independent. It wasn't until I wasn't relying on my parents for childcare because those are all strings that attach us to Mormonism of us needing to fit in in order to have our basic needs met. And I don't think people understand how heavily the emotional, financial, social safety is reliant on them being in the church. And until I was fully able to separate, I personally did not have full access to my brain or my heart. So my family, I I told my family, I'm the only member of my immediate family who has left the church. And I told them and they have treated me with respect and love. My mom still babysits my twin girls once a week. You know, my sisters come over and help. And I'm thinking about how much I didn't know for sure that that would be their reaction. Right. And it became, it became enough for me that I just needed to tell them regardless, but I thought that that would probably be the case. And I'm just feeling a lot of sympathy for people who live in different family dynamics or who have jobs maybe in Utah that they know their promotion could be on the line. Maybe their job could be on the line And how much more strings, those strings you're mentioning, I think different people have a different maybe amount of those strings and attachments that, you know, that web can be thicker and stronger for certain people depending on their situation. And it just gives me a lot of sympathy for people who are, you know, physically in, mentally out type people who are still hanging on, even though they're feeling a lot of dissonance just because they feel like that's what they need to do to have all those other things that you mentioned, which are very real, practical, valid concerns. Yes. I love that you said that. And before my shelf broke, you know, that cold October 8th day at 9 PM, LOL. Oh, <laughs> uh, it's like in my calendar. Yeah. Um, a, there were a, a lot of, yeah, 
<laughs> there were a lot of creators that were basically saying, you can't be an ally to the queer community and be in the church. You have to leave. You have to leave. You know, a lot of progressive Mormon influencers were being criticized at this time. That's a big ex-Mormon sentiment that mm-hmm. not everyone, but a lot of people hold. And what I want to tell people is like, it's a privilege to have the emotional capacity to deconstruct from your religion. Not everyone has the time or the ability to have their entire life crumble if that is people's experience. And it is very dysregulating for a lot of us when we have our breaking point and decide to leave. It takes years. People sometimes need therapy. They need to go up on their meds. Like I, I see it, you know, in this office right yeah, here, you know. it's very difficult. And so I never want to rush people. And that's always something I emphasize is that everyone has their own timing. There's a reason why we all have those mental gymnastics and there's a reason why they work because we are not always able to accept historical facts or really severe uh, consequences to our queer exclusion in the church until we're able to really think about it. And so everyone has their own timeline. And I think it's just important to note that, that I would never fault someone for staying. I might be irritated. I might feel lonely, but I would never fault someone for staying because there are a lot of really good things about the church that make it worth it for many people. I think that's a great way of saying it. I actually posted, I'm trying not to co-opt this into like my own personal therapy session, but I posted a TikTok today, yesterday maybe. And I was kind of speaking to this feeling I have, which was a big reason I wanted to start this podcast because it's so difficult to describe without getting things getting sticky. So I'm going to do my best, but I left the church and I was really, really angry, really, really hurt had a lot to deal with, a lot to deconstruct. And then slowly I was able to tell my family. I was able to tell my extended family. I kind of went through all these steps where it started to get easier and I started to feel better and I started to reconstruct my life. And I feel like I'm in a place now where I feel mostly pretty good and things still come up that are triggering and you know, trauma still resurfaces. I'm not like, you know, totally over it by any means. But I guess I was sensing that in the post-Mormon, ex-Mormon communities, there seemed to be a sort of, I hate to say negative because I think negativity is well-deserved and super valid, but there was this space that I didn't feel like I wanted to live in forever because it felt like it was maybe bringing me down or continually um, maybe like ruminating on those more like negative parts of my journey. And part of my hope in this podcast was validating all of that. That's real. That's so valid. That needs to be spoken to. That should continue to be spoken to. But from the place I'm at now, there's an ability for me to speak to Mormonism a little more lightheartedly, to kind of laugh at some of the crazy things that happened, to focus a little more on rebuilding spiritually, that sort of thing. Anyway, I posted a TikTok about that. It was literally a minute, so I had to speak in much more reductive terms. And it's been really interesting because the responses are a lot of people saying, oh my gosh, I relate. Thanks for speaking to this. And then there's a lot of people saying this feels really invalidating because they are people who feel a lot of that anger, hurt, trauma, and they feel like being maybe more middle ground or a little bit more in that moving forward space feels like triggering or or hurtful to even hear someone speak to. And there's just so much to think about there because I'm a privileged person, right? I'm straight and cis and white. And there's just all these things that I'm trying to kind of parse out about how I feel. And if it's, I guess, even if it's okay to move forward, if it's okay to create a little bit of a different tone around these things, or if that feels like that's too invalidating for all of the hurt and trauma that the church has caused. I saw that TikTok and I loved it. Oh, thanks. (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) I totally relate to you. And I, I think that it's a fair critique on what you don't want your life to look like in the post-Mormon world, where you're not saying you shouldn't be mad. You're saying that's not the space for me. And I love Mormon Stories podcast. 
But I will tell you right now, I had to stop listening to it because Mm -hmm. I would be having it in my ears, making breakfast for my daughter, and then just becoming so angry that I was losing my cool. And my husband's like, what is going on? And I'm like, do you even know what I'm listening to in my ear right now? I I love John. I love Margie. It's they're you know love ex Mormon TikTok. Ex Mormon TikTok was a huge part of my deconstruction, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's totally totally fine to say I don't want to sit in that anger for longer than I need to, and I want to laugh about it. I want to you know have little inside jokes like oh girls camp, girls camp was fun, like you totally. know lighthearted talking about the things that we love about it and that's a part of that healing arc where I think we can get stuck in anger and we can stay in that stage as long as we want and for me I dip in and out I'll get really mad and then the next week I'll be like who cares same Um, yeah but I think you know you find the community that that sings to your soul and I always want to be honest but also be respectful And Mm. I think that's kind of, if I feel like disrespect is given or anything that the church ever does is always painted as negative, I don't think that that's fair. So I posted a TikTok about tithing. Like I had some non-Mormon friends over the other night. I saw that one too. A great TikTok. I saw this video about needing to pay tithing over feeding your family if you're a poor family and they were Mm -hmm. horrified. Mm -hmm. Rightfully so. So there, it, got a lot of attention and my follow-up video was about how yes the church helps so many people like they do amazing humanitarian work they give people food education through BYU pathways program they do amazing amazing work helping people get out of debt microloans they do all sorts of things to help people and there are issues and so I think when you're coming from a place of healing and of grounding which trust me it took me a very long very long time to get to this place, you're able to give them credit where credit is due while not at all excusing all of the bad stuff that's still happening. Yeah. And so being able to hold both of it, I think is, is a, is a sig is a sign or a signal to us that we're kind of in somewhat of a grounded place. But this is what I will say is don't rush through it. If you're super mad, be freaking mad. You have so much to be mad about. It's infuriating. I mean, I couldn't even tell you how many times I've just like screamed in my car, like sobbing over some horrible thing that happened to me or someone that I love. We have to feel that, Mm. but we don't have to stay there all the time. Yeah. Okay. I love that. Thank you. That means a lot to me personally, because it's, it's an interesting thing to step away from the church and have any opinion at all (laughs) because someone's going to disagree. Someone's going to have a really valid reason to disagree. Someone's maybe going to be hurt and have a valid reason to be hurt. And I don't know. I think so much of it for me comes down to being so concerned with making everyone else okay, which is a beautiful thing. And again, that's something that I appreciate from the church. I think it gave me a lot of you know, I've, since I was little, I've thought a lot about service and taking care of others and putting others' needs before my own. But it's been interesting to kind of find that balance of, I deserve to feel how I feel. And if I know that I'm being kind and respectful as best I can be, I can say these things and it's okay if not everybody agrees or feels great and dandy about it. But that's, it's a hard thing to do. It's a muscle that I don't think I've really, you know, practiced. I haven't stretched that muscle for a lot of my life because I was in a homogenous community and I fit in and I did what everyone else was doing and I got praise and reward for it. And it's very different to venture outside of that and practice just thinking different things and putting them out in public makes it even more difficult. Also, TikTok is just a crazy place. (laughs) It really is. So many comments. I'm like, who are you? And like, where did you come from? Why are you? Why are you? Why are you in my living room right now? Yeah, seriously. (laughs) Yeah, I guess that's what you get for posting on TikTok. Okay, let's talk about parents because I have a lot of write-ins of people asking about how to navigate leaving the church, but having parents in the faith. So someone says, I don't want to hurt my parents' faith slash testimony with my reasons for my faith transition, but I feel like they won't understand me unless I give them the reasons. How do I do this in a way that is straightforward, but also gentle and considerate of their faith? I love it. 
I can tell this person cares about their parents and also wants to honor themselves, which I think is very kind. Mm. I don't gatekeep church history. I don't think that it's something I'm going to blast all around the internet. I like to give people warnings and head up, heads up, but many of the things that people leave the church over are historical facts that are well-documented, that have been hidden from the average member. And I don't think we need to gatekeep it. I don't think we need to gatekeep the word cult, the bite criteria, the CES letter, a letter from my wife, the horrible things that people have had to go through recently because of the church, the self-hatred, the suicide rates within the queer community. These are not secrets. And people who are in this church, who are paying 10% of all their money to this church, should be able to hear you out. So mm. I know that some people don't want to tell their parents because their parent, like why they left, because their parents are going to send them conference talks. They're going to rebuttal it. They're going to minimize them. They're going to use it against them. They're going to minimize their faith transition to deceived by Satan, read anti-Mormon literature, is caught up in the world and believes in gay rights, trans rights, right? So we might hesitate to share, but if we want to share, what I would recommend is saying, do you really want to know? Okay. Are you okay if I'm specific? Okay. Well, I learned X, Y, and Z about X, Y, and Z. It disgusted me and I could not stand another day sustaining this institution. And so I decided to leave. Mm. 60 seconds. You're not telling them they're stupid. You're not telling them they're dumb. You're not saying you're brainwashed. You're a little sheep. You're not saying that, but I don't think we need to be as gatekeepy about it. I think there's a respectful way to be honest if we want to be, and it's yep. fine. They get to deal with it. We've had to deal with it. Yeah. Excellence have had to deal with it. This is this is what this is what we're a part of. This is where our money's going. The thing that I would say too is that the issues of the church are everyone's problem. We don't get to just push it aside on people who are marginalized mm. or people that have left. This is a common problem that we all need to come up with a solution with. And I, if someone's asking, I think you can tell them. But also, you can decline. If it's not in your best interest to get into it, you can be very brief. You can deflect or you can just say, ah, it's not something I want to talk about. That's super, super helpful. I think that that's something that I've sort of done myself is feeling like, well... I don't know, I'll kind of sugarcoat or be like, you know, I left, but da da da. Like, you know, it's fine if you stay. But to your point, I think if we really do want to enact change, it's really valuable if you feel safe enough in a relationship. It, it can be really valuable to actually speak to those things. Someone also asked, this is another one about telling your parents, but I think it touches on something interesting. They said, how do you know the best way to tell your parents you're leaving the church? I go back and forth on doing it in person or over a letter to let them process. I'm a people pleaser and struggle with how to approach this conversation in a way that will be best for both myself and my parents. Again, a compassionate person who cares about their parents, who's trying to manage so many different things in an already stressful time. I think it's fair to really see the person leaving religion as both a victim and as a champion in their own life. It's a very interesting process where you are the villain in many people's eyes. You are the wounded. And you're also the freaking hero that's saying, absolutely not. Not another second. I'm not doing this anymore. I'm living my own life. No, thank you. Thank you, mm -hmm. next. Mm -hmm. It depends on what kind of stage you want to share that. It depends on where you want to be coming from. Do you want to show them that part? Do you want them to be a part of the journey where you're like, hey, I'm really struggling. I don't know if, I, you know, I'm pregnant. I don't think I can raise my kids in this church. I don't think I can do this, you know? Um, or do you want to be really on the other side of it and say, hey, this has been going on for a while. I've made up my mind. My decision is final. I'm letting you know because I love you. But this is absolutely not uh, something I'm that, that's debatable. So I think you just kind of get to decide what is in your best interest. And a lot of us always center other people, not ourselves in this context. Yep. In this context, we don't center ourselves and you are the main character. You are the freaking main character. It yes. is so hard to leave religion for a lot of people. It is so hard. You have to do so much work. You're giving up your covenants, your belief system, whatever it is, your sense of security, your safety. 
and you get to take up space. So however you want to do it, I think is reasonable. Some people write letters, some people write emails, some people do it in person. I want to just rapid fire a few different like sayings that some yeah, people please. find helpful. So something like, I've been really mindful of how I want to raise my kids. I was harmed by religion, although it, it helps me in many ways. And I've decided for my kids, this is not something I want to expose them to. I am really discovering who I am. And I have found that my values do not align with the values demonstrated in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And due to this values misalignment, I will no longer be an active adherent member. I cannot give my money to an organization that is harming so many LGBTQ people. And I will absolutely not be sustaining the profit with these policies. I think you can also say things like, I am learning how to trust myself. And so right now I am doing what feels good for me. And I am in an explorative stage in my life and we'll see what happens next. Because maybe it's not about beliefs. Maybe it's not about church history or policies or tithing or any of that. Maybe it's just about your journey and wanting to be able to go to the store and buy whatever the heck you want and wear it on a hot summer day and not feel like you're following the devil. Amen to that. I love how you said it's okay to center yourself. What I sense from this person in this question is feeling like they're trying to do it in the best way for their parents. And while I think that's really honorable and really beautiful, and like you said, shows that they love their parents and care about their parents, it's okay to do it in the way that feels best for yourself. You know, if your parents say, well, I wish you called me or I wish you came over and did it in person, whatever, do what feels best for you. Like you're saying, that's your right and you are allowed and deserve to do that. When you're able to tune into yourself, you usually know what feels best for you, right? It's when you're trying to appease all these other parties that it maybe gets a little bit more muddled. Okay, let's talk about mixed faith marriages. I had a lot of people asking about mixed faith marriages and how that relates to raising kids. So this person said, advice for mixed faith marriages. My boyfriend is active Mormon. I left the church two years ago. We're getting married at the end of the summer and I'm nervous but hopeful about our future navigating our mixed faith relationship. How can we respect and support each other's beliefs but still be true to ourselves? How do we handle important decisions, future kids, where to live, etc., without the shared reliance on the gospel to guide us? Help. So I'm in a mixed faith marriage, for lack of a better word. I feel like I still have faith. I go to church quite often with my husband. I still love many elements of the church. My sister was joking with me that I'm still technically active because I go more than <laughs> So that's my context. I went to church with my husband a few weeks ago and both adult talks were about Satan or included Satan. The devil's trying to trick you. Um, people who leave are following Satan. So I have to um, not go as often as I probably would in this stage of my life just because it's not in my best interest to be told that I'm following the devil or have been tricked or deceived. Like it's just not at yeah. all appropriate. Mm -hmm. um, so it's hard. <laughs> It's very, very, very hard. So it's interesting that this person is entering this relationship with this knowledge because for many people, it comes out after they're married. Yeah. Um, that there's some sort of shift. But what I say is that I don't try to get my husband to be more in and he doesn't try to get me to be more out. But of course, there's always that hope in me that we can be more synced up. And I'm sure he also has that hope as well. And I would say for me, my pendulum is starting to come back down where, you know, I'm not super activated and dysregulated going to like the ward barbecue. And I actually think it's funny because I'm like, hi. Oh yeah, I'm Danielle. Hi. Were you talking about me last week? I heard you talked about the devil. Hi. You're like, hi, so nice I'm, to meet you. I'm Mrs. Conned by Satan. Nice to meet you. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So anyways, are you, th these are the questions I would ask this person is, are you going to be okay if he never comes back, she never comes back, vice versa? Or is one of you always hoping that the other one comes back, shifts, okay? Mm -hmm. Second question, do you feel comfortable fully acting in your post-Mormon world or not? For example, is your spouse going to be mad that you're buying alcohol? Are they going to be mad that you're wearing a tank top at the family reunion? How long is that leash? 
it sounds bad, but there's some sort of ratio. There's, there's a tension. There's only yeah. so far you can go without yeah. certain deal breakers. Are you wanting to have like more sexual experiences outside of marriage? Are you compatible in all these different ways? Because for many people leaving the church and knowing that they already gave up so much of their life to this institution to be loyal to it, only to realize that it's not for them you kind of want to go do everything you've never done before. So are you, do you feel that your relationship is strong enough where you can really live the life that you want? I would also ask how far into this journey are you? Because at the beginning for me, I was like, Oh, I'll still go. Like I actually still believe in it, but I'm just unwilling to sustain it. Like I'm going to speak out come what may, they might excommunicate me. Like I'm not playing this dance anymore, but I'll still go. And like, the church is still true. Like that was still my mindset for many months after my breaking point. So, but you really have to think ahead. So in terms of specific tips, what are you going to teach your kids about sex? Are you, are you going to give your daughter birth control? There are a lot of things to consider. And I just know for me, I was extremely ignorant when I got married. I was you know, a month shy of 23, I had served the mission. I was mostly through my bachelor's degree. I felt like I had done more probably than the average Mormon woman at 22 in terms of projects yeah. I'd been a part of, jobs I've held, but I didn't know anything. I was, I am shocked my marriage has worked out as well as it has even before the faith transition because we didn't date at all. We weren't living together. We barely knew each other. Mm-hmm. And that's yep. normal. That's how most of us. Yeah, it's typical. Yeah, totally. Totally. So I think you just need to look into the future. And what I'll say too is there's absolutely nothing wrong with being engaged, breaking it off, getting married, breaking it off, if it's really not in your best interest. And so I think some of us can be naive and can have that hope that if we love each other, it can work out and maybe it can, and maybe it's fine. But there are significant hurdles in mixed faith marriage that I'm still figuring out. So I don't have as much as advice as I want to, but just really think it through. I think those are great questions. And like you're saying, this person has not committed to marriage yet. So those are things that they can talk through. I'm curious your thoughts on raising kids in a mixed faith marriage, because I had a few people ask about that as well, when there are differing ideas. So someone wrote in and said, my partner wants to bring our children to church and I would prefer they don't go to church until they are seven, eight when they're older. So it's not getting ingrained as younger kids. I'm curious your thoughts on navigating that kind of situation. So my daughter was in nursery. She was three, but she was in nursery. She comes to me, hey mom, are you coming to church? No, sweetie, I'm not going to church. When I go to church, they tell me I'm following Satan. That makes me sad. I'm not going. I don't sugarcoat it. Like, Mm. I just, no, I I would love to go, but it hurts me when I go. So I don't go, but I hope you have a fun time. And she says, mom, if you don't go to church, you'll die and be gone. Mm. She hasn't learned the song, follow the prophet. She hasn't learned about needing to be perfect to live with God again keeping her baptismal covenants. And she is already in nursery picking up on this doctrine that I would frankly say is accurate, that it is accurate, that if you don't go to church, if you're not worthy of your covenants, if you don't keep your covenants, you will not be with your family in the next life. And so do I think that anyone in our ward taught her that? No, but isn't the implication of her being associated with this church? Yes. So it's hard for me we were with my in-laws and she went to primary with her cousin. She comes home singing, um, follow the prophet. <laughs> and I told her, no, Emmy, you follow Jesus or you follow yourself. And it's an ongoing joke. And she will joke with me. She's like very little, funny little girl. <laughs> and it's our little inside joke. And I say, Emmy, you get to follow yourself. You get to follow yourself. Again, today we were hanging out today, Sunday, Mama, are you coming to church? No, baby. It, I mean, I like church, but I I just, <laughs> I would love to go and have it not be harmful, but it is mm-hmm. harmful to me a lot of the time. So I have to pick and choose. And in order for me to have a good relationship with religion, I have to do it very sparingly. In terms of my daughter, I just tell her, this is what mommy believes. This is what daddy believes. And you get to decide and I'll support you. And she goes to a Christian preschool that's not LDS. And I like that because their uh, explanation of God is similar, but very different than the LDS explanation of deity. 
And so I just really uh, encourage her critical thinking and I don't sugarcoat it. It's not a secret that I'm not going to church. Thank you for all of that. I think that's all incredibly helpful. Do you feel like there are ways or do you sense a dissonance in your daughter or do you feel like children experience a dissonance when they're in a mixed faith family or not? And if there is any dissonance, is there any advice on how to help it not feel dissonant, I guess? What I have to say next will not be fun to hear, but I think it answers your question. So just to give that little yeah. disclaimer is that some people's religious trauma is that their parents were not active and weren't good Mormons, but the child was in the doctrine enough to know their parents were sinning. And they grew up with this complex that their parents are not good enough for God. They're not good enough for heaven. And that the child has to overcompensate for the parents' mm. lack luster discipleship or whatever. And that is its own form of, of pain um, to have parents that are nuanced in a very unnuanced doctrine. And I don't say that to say that that's what's going to happen if you loosen things up a bit. But I, I think it's just so important to not speak in absolute. So to tell your kids, you can live an amazing life in or out of the church. Just hearing that all the time is so important. Some of our absolute best friends are Muslim. And we went to a Muslim celebration recently and just got to engage in their cultural and religious practices. And it's almost impossible to believe what the church says in these specific areas about ex-Mormons, never Mormons, when you are with them and see them. It's impossible to believe that these friends of ours can't experience true joy, which is something we're told that only people active mm -hmm. and believing can experience true joy. That's not true to yeah. me. That's yeah. not true. It's experience. easy to see it's not true. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exposing kids to people, it just instantly evaporates it. Oh no, you don't have to be Christian to be happy. You don't even have to be a follower of God to live a great life and have great kids. These are families like our best friends in San Diego. We have plenty of Mormon and ex-Mormon best friends, but some of our closest raising our kids together friends are atheists or are not Christians. And it's incredibly helpful. It was a huge part of my own deconstruction to be like, oh, I can live a happy life. They have friends. They have community. They're totally fine. This isn't real. <laughs> this yeah. fear that I have for me is not actually real. And I think just emphasizing that they can do what they want and they can trust themselves is the best gift that you can give your children. And that is counterintuitive to what the church teaches. So it mm -hmm. is a new concept, but if you can loosen it up, make it symbolic, you don't literally have to be baptized. Your little best friend, Mia, she's not going to go to hell. She doesn't get baptized, but you can get baptized and follow Jesus because that's important to you. So go, go get baptized. Like, let's do it. You want to get baptized? Let's do it. But what we're not going to do is say you have to do it or else mm -hmm. you're not going to be happy. You can't be with your family. That's not what I'll teach my girls. And I think my husband's fully on board with, you know, the way we've been doing it so far. It's, you know, it gives her that flexibility of liking church but also doesn't traumatize her, hopefully. Yeah, I love that. We could talk forever. I'm going to ask one more question um, that I think will be a good one to end on. Okay, it says, I feel so much peace with where I'm at in deciding to leave the church. I feel so free, but I have moments of panic where I think about things like the second coming and instantly think I'm a bad person for not going to church, reading my scriptures, praying, and it's hard to come to terms with that. I feel happier than I've ever been out of the church, but I can't get over these little moments of panic where I feel like I'm not doing enough of the right things we were taught to do our whole lives. Same, same girl, same. I know, same here too. <laughs> I call it like my flares. I'll have flares of that panicked. There are triggers and activations that happen. We'll use the word activation in terms of you see something, you remember something, you feel horrible about yourself, right? Like you'll be at the grocery store and you'll see someone wearing garments. You'll notice they're in garments and then you'll look down, you're not wearing them. Then you're like, I'm going to hell. You know, whatever mm. it is. There are these different things that happen that make us feel horrible about ourselves because that is what we were trained to do. And it's very hard to overcome two or three decades of heavily indoctrinated, our, you know, our bodies and brains that's written all over us. It's written all over many of us. It takes a long time. And so... Therapy would will really help because what this is describing 
is religious trauma for, you know, not to diagnose, but it sounds like that would be religious trauma where you're having flashbacks. You are having really scared, paranoid thoughts about, you know, the next life. And what I will say too, before we get into it more, is that just because you occasionally have those flare-ups does not invalidate your joy in being out of the church, which I think is what this question was getting at. I'm happier than ever. I'm never going back. But every once in a while, it gets to me and I feel horrible. Mm -hmm. So that is the religious trauma most likely showing up. And that shows how indoctrinated parts of yourself still are. So I have like an inner eight-year-old, right? We all have inner children inside of us that's terrified of making any mistakes. And if I'm not perfect, it's like, well, you might as well die now because you'll only have 30 years worth of sins rather than 60. You can't be perfect. Well, then just go to heaven because that's what I was taught as a youth. This is really significant. When I say there are psychiatric issues, this is exactly what I'm talking about. And so what would I do in the moment? I would say, whoa, I'm activated. That just brought up something. Try and figure out what brought it out. Say, ooh, okay, I'm feeling what? I'm feeling anger. I'm feeling shame. I'm feeling scared because I think that because I'm not reading my scriptures, I'm not going to be protected in a car accident. Wow, it makes sense I feel that way because of how I was taught. I know now that I'm an adult and that I'm not going to be punished because I'm not reading my scriptures. I know that my skin's not going to be burned in a car accident because I'm not wearing my garments. That's a very common fear. And these are called implanted phobias, phobia indoctrination, which you can read the book Combating Cult Mind Control written by Stephen Hassan, and he talks about phobia indoctrination. My family of origin has some really insane and intense paranoias about not wearing garments. I have friends who were on a vacation with their parents one of their kids wasn't wearing garments and the dad said, we're going to get into a car accident because you're not wearing your garments. God's not going to protect you and we're all going to get hurt. Ooh, yikes. That is some serious indoctrination. And so if that's happening a lot, you need to go get some therapy if you're able to afford it. But it's normal. It doesn't mean the church is true. <laughs> if that's not a part of your journey, it doesn't, it's not evidence that you yes. need to go back and it's super normal. It's super normal. Yeah, that's so helpful. I was also thinking as you were describing that, how the church, it kind of manipulated our feelings against us. At least that's how I felt. There's multiple stories where I would have a bad feeling and I would think like my family and I were driving once we were going to go on a road trip and I was like, I have a really bad feeling. I think it's the Holy Ghost or God telling me something bad's going to happen to our family. And I was just tortured as a little girl because what I was probably feeling was just anxiety as a kid, but I had this attachment to, oh, this is a bad feeling that if I don't tell my family and tell them not to go, then we're going to get in a car crash and die or whatever. And I guess what I'm trying to touch on here is the way that I feel like I was raised to maybe make more out of my feelings or like even moralize my feelings in a way that was so damaging to me. And this sounds a little bit like that too, where if you feel all of a sudden like, oh shit, like I'm feeling, you know, having a flare up, like you said, oh, well then maybe it is all true or else why would I be feeling this way? And I think the church has taught us to make those connections. They've like really instilled that. And it's a difficult thing to it's a hugely difficult thing to step away from the church and make sense of feelings in a different way. I am so appreciative of this conversation. Thank you so much. I am just really grateful that you are willing to come on. And like you said, did you say Dan in real life? And then Dan, yeah, the therapist. Yeah, it's not moving. My nickname, yeah, it's cute. My nickname was Dan Dan. That's what my I like, love that. close family calls me. I love um, it. So yes, there's Danielle Calder, LCSW, and then Dan in real life. So it's funny. I love it. I love that I got to speak with both of those parts of you today. And I just know it's funny. We're talking about these feelings, right? And it's conversations like this as I'm hearing you speak where I feel like I feel the spirit outside of the church where I just have this feeling of hearing what you're saying and knowing people will be listening that really need to hear that thing. And to me, that used to be like the ultimate spiritual, like Holy Ghost testifying of truth. But 
it's just kind of like my little silly post-Mormon spiritual feeling of being like, this is, this needs to be said, this needs to be heard. And I know people are going to hear it and need it and appreciate it. So thank you so, so much. Well, I just, I'm so glad that we could talk and I absolutely love Girls Camp. I've been listening to it really from the beginning, but what I will add is that be wherever you are with the church. If you like the church, that is amazing. I had 28 amazing years in Mormonism that were overall really, really positive. I don't regret my mission. I don't regret a lot of things I did. I used to love the temple and I'm kind of sad sometimes that I can't go back. So if you're enjoying it, that is amazing. That is amazing. If you sort of like it, be there. Just be wherever the heck you are and don't try and change yourself because it doesn't work and it backfires. And you're allowed to take whatever you want with you. You're allowed to ditch whatever you want. And that's the whole point is that you actually get to decide what to think, what to feel, and what to do. Amen, amen, and amen. I love that so much. I think that's such a wonderful summary of the mission statement, I think, of this podcast. You know, we were touching on that with my TikTok and all those things, but more than anything, I just want people who are tuning in to feel like, yes, we can speak candidly. We can speak to our true feelings. If those are anger, whatever those are, we can speak to them here, but we can honor you, whoever's listening, wherever you're at and wherever you're at is valid. And I love what you said. There's no need to I don't know. We live in the social media era. We're seeing where different people are at. We're clocking that. And it's really difficult to not have that affect you. But I love what you said to just be where you are and know that that is good and okay. So I'm really glad you ended on that note. Thank you so much for having me, Haley. Yes. Thank you so much for coming on. G-I-R-L-S-C